0: Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we just Lord, we we surrender our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, we just desire to hear from you tonight, Lord. We desire Lord, your word. We desire your truth, Lord. I pray for wisdom, Father. I pray that you just pour your grace out on our lives, those who are in this room. Father, I pray that you just show us your love, your mercy. And Lord, uh, may our lives, Lord, just reflect you, Jesus. And Lord, may you just be hallowed through our lives. For you are holy, God, and may we be holy as you are holy. So Father, I pray that you just speak now, Lord, and that you just go before us now in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We will be starting verse 17. So if you guys were here last study, we, we, we spoke about how to walk in unity. And Paul is going to begin to show us the, uh, as a Christian how we are supposed to walk. We just learned the doctrine um, uh, from chapters 1 through 3. We learned about the doctrine and, and, and now we're going to be learning our application. So last study we started in chapter 4 verse 1 through 16, and we learned about how to walk in unity. And now we're going to see, here Paul is going to talk about the new man and how to walk in holiness. And I just want us to really consider the importance of holiness. It's something that truly needs to be uh, considered as a subject of really deep importance in our lives. Yes, we live by grace, but not apart from holiness. So I really want us to consider the importance of holiness in our lives. So let's just stand still today. You know, let's, let's, let's clear our minds. And we need to truly consider how, you know, how to walk in holiness. We need to truly consider the importance of holiness in our lives. Because Hebrews uh, chapter 12 verse 14, it tells us that holiness, without it, no one will see God. So there is an importance to holiness And I love this passage because Paul really emphasizes on what it means to walk in holiness. And so here in verse 17-32, through we're going to see Paul will be showing us a contrast. First, we're going to see our old man who was without holiness. Then we're going to see the contrast of our new man who is now considered holy before the Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. So if you are a Christian today and, and you, you, you are in Christ and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, just know that you are seen as holy before him. If you have Christ in your life, as we just learned about justification, you, he, he gave us his righteousness and now we have the full righteousness. We are seen holy before God. And we have access to his kingdom because of what Christ did. So therefore, you know, you're walking as a new man. You need to really consider the way we walk because we need to walk as a new creation. We need to walk as, as a holy man. And we need to understand something. This new creation that, that, has, been, um, that has been created in us, it's a holy creation. And, and you are to walk holy because why? What does the Bible say? 1 Peter 1, 15-16 tells us, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Notice, it, not just some of your conduct, it says in all your conduct. Because why? It is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Period. It's the word of God. It is written, and he says, be holy, because why? Because he is holy. And we, ne- we need to understand that the God we serve, our God is a holy God, and he cannot allow sin into his kingdom. He cannot allow sin in his temple. And what are we? The temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that. And he cannot allow sin. He, can't, he, he, he cannot be okay with it. So we need to really consider holiness. The word holy means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated to the Lord, and if you've read through the book of Numbers, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, uh, Exodus, um, you know there were certain vessels and objects that that were to be set apart for the work of the Lord, and 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 we need to be that it, they, they they called it to be consecrated, and that means to be set apart for the work of the Lord, and as Christians, that is our calling. We are called to be set apart. We're not called to be like this world. This world is not our home. We must be set apart for what? For the work of the Lord. So when you become a a Christian, you've made the decision. When you've accepted Christ into your life, you've chosen to be set apart. You've chosen to consecrate yourself to him. And we need to walk worthy of that. And therefore, you, you... you must purpose it in your heart to not to defile yourself. We need to realize that, you know, as I've spoken before in the past messages, that Christ dwells in our hearts. Either he's at home in your either he lives in your heart or he feels at home in your heart. There's a difference. And he can only feel at home if you're living a holy life. I like uh, Daniel 1.8. It's a perfect example of this. He, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And Daniel chose to walk in holiness. He chose to, to uh, not defile himself to this world. And, you know, although we live in this world, we can purpose ourselves not to be defiled by it. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy. But it's possible. And I'm going to explain and, uh, you know, as Christians, you know, the minute you give your life to the Lord, Christ becomes this holy, he becomes this holy creation in you. And you begin to walk on this road. And he places you on this road of holiness. And the road, this road that, that you're placed on, the Bible calls it the highway of holiness. And you begin to walk on this highway. Notice what the Bible says about the journey of this new walk. In Isaiah 35.8, uh, Isaiah prophesied and said, And a great road will go through that once deserted land, and it will be named the Highway of Holiness. Notice, evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. And the fact is that you can never approach the holiness of God, let alone walk in holiness apart from clean hands and apart from a pure heart. And Psalms 25, 34 tells us this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Without this holiness, we will never see God. And that's what Christ's mission was for us when he came to the cross. That's why I was so ministered um, this, this past week for Passion Week. The mission, what he accomplished on the cross for us. He came to give us clean hands. He came to give us a pure heart, to create something new in us. A new creation. He came to set us apart unto himself to make us holy. Therefore, we must walk worthy of this new creation that has been done in us. Walk holy. And I love what J.C. Ryle quoted on what true practical holiness is. He says, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. According as we find his mind described in scripture, it is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. He who most entirely agrees with God, he is the most holy man. Wow. To be holy. He also goes on to say that a holy man will follow after meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, kind tempers, government of his tongues. And notice why Paul gave us first qualities of unity. If you were here the last study, we talked about the qualities of unity, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, love, the qualities of unity. And, and, And he gave these to us in order to walk in holiness. We must first walk in unity with God. In order for us to walk in holiness, you have to have the same mind of God. That is called discernment. You're able to discern what's right and what's wrong, and you feel the conviction when you're in the wrong. Having the same mind of God, be one with each other as we as as uh, Jesus was one with the Father, and we are to set that example. So we are to also walk holy, and therefore we must strive. To know the mind of Christ, we have to strive. I remember when I started, when I came back to the Lord, I wanted to learn the life of Christ. I wanted to learn how He lived. I wanted to learn how He walked because that is the way we should walk. He set the example for us. So I'll remind you of our key verse in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, We must be imitators of God. Imitate God. Paul also said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. If you imitate Christ, we can imitate each other because because we are imitators of Christ and he is the life that we need to imitate. So notice verse 17 through 19, we see first, we're going to see our old way of living verse 17 we'll start this it says this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles the gentiles here is used as the word heathens you shall no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in what the futility of their mind verse 18 having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Notice the five walks of our old man, of of the unbeliever. We see one, we see the futility of the mind. And that word futility is defined as vanity, a lacking of truth, a lacking of appropriateness, perverseness, and depravity. Remember, we spoke on depravity in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul talked about our old condition in verse in chapter 2. We were what? We were morally corrupt. And the fact is that before we came to Christ, we used to walk this life. We used to walk in vanity. Vanity means being prideful. It means being full of yourself. We used to walk that, and our thoughts were morally corrupt. We used the futility of the of the mind. Therefore, since we walked in this futility of the mind, our understanding was what? Number two, our understanding was darkened, meaning our way of thinking and feeling, you know, it was covered with darkness. We were deprived of light. The The unsafe person's thinking is futile because their understanding is darkened. And that unsafe person thinks that they are enlightened because they, they reject the Word of God and believe all the latest ph- philosophies that, that instead of the Word of God. They start believing all these philosophies that are told to them. But in reality, what, what are they believing? Their, their understanding is darkened, so therefore it, their, their, their understanding, their, their, what they believe is foolish. Romans 1.22 tells us, professing to be wise they became fools just imagine all the theories that people come up with that sound foolish nowadays i'm sure all of us can think of some the theories of evolution how we evolved from monkeys it's foolish the theories of creation some you know some believe that you know the Big Bang. You know they talk about the big. Some believe that the the Earth is is three billion years old, and they constantly change that number. They feel that if they continue to go back further, it'll solve their answer. It's foolish. And uh, you know it's honestly it's harder to disprove the exist of the existence of God than it is to prove uh, to prove. Um, uh, than it is to prove it. I'd, I'd prefer it's a lot easier to prove the existence of God to me than it is to, prove, uh, to disprove his existence. And, you know, we used to think this way before we came to Christ. We used to believe these things, and we used to be fools. So because we were futile in our mind, our understanding it became darkened, and therefore making us, number three, it says, alienated from the life of God. We became alienated. And remember, again, Paul has spoken about this in this, in this in this book, in chapter 2, that we as Gentiles, we used to be alienated from the promises of God, meaning to be shut out from his fellowship. We, we were shut out from having that intimacy with God. Because of our previous way of thinking, we were shut out from fellowship. Therefore, we became, number four, ignorant. We were ignorant, meaning lack of knowledge. We we lacked knowledge, especially to the things of God. We were morally blind. And so because we were futile, because our understanding became darkened, making us alienated from God, becoming ignorant of the things of God, our heart, what happened, became hardened, resulting in number five, it says the blindness of their heart, and in, in the Greek word literally means hardened. The word that Paul uses here of blindness, he used to describe the hardening of the heart hearts of the unbelievers is used. He uses this in the harshest way possible, because uh, the Greek word here is perosis and I love what uh, what William Barclay said. This word is referred to a stone that was harder than marble. And in medical terminology, it referred to the callus that forms when a bone has been broken and reset. A callus which is harder than the bone itself. And it was also used of softwood which had become petrified. And this is what Paul says the heart of an unbeliever can be like. It's so hard it becomes petrified. Verse 19 tells us then, who being past feeling, underline that word, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Notice it became past feeling. That word is translated as calloused. It has become callous, and it has become numb. William Barclay again goes to say, Paul used the Greek word apol- apolgeo here to describe the eventual state of a sinner. And what he describes is utterly frightening. No man becomes a great sinner all at once. At first, he regards sin with horror. And when he sins, there enters into his heart remorse and regret, but if he continues to sin, there comes a time when he loses all sensation and can do the most shameful things without any feeling at all. Sin can get such a grip on a man that he does not care how much he shocks public opinion, so long as he can gratify his desires until he loses all decency and has no shame. Paul saw men's hearts so past feeling that they were not even aware that they were were sinning. And that is a scary thought. That if you allow a little sin in your life, it begins to progress. And your heart begins to become numb to it that you don't even realize you're doing it anymore. So notice here the impossibility of man's salvation because that used to be all of us before Christ. We were numb to sin. Our heart was calloused. Therefore, we, we sinned all we wanted because we didn't feel, we didn't feel the conviction. And, and notice then the impossibility of man's salvation the disciple responded to Jesus in Matthew 19:25 this was before Jesus mentioned it, how it, it's impossible for a man to get into heaven and he said that it is easier for a camel to go in through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get in into heaven and then his disciple responded well then then who can be saved it's impossible But Jesus looked at them and said in verse 26, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And you want to know the greatest proof of God's existence? For me personally, the greatest proof of God's existence in my life was to see the change that he did in me. The fact that he was able to change my heart, which was callous, which was past feeling, that's proof enough for me that God exists. The fact that I am able to say no to sin and to my past and, and what the Lord's brought me out of, and for you guys too. The fact that you're here today hearing the word of God, and God has changed your life, he has changed your heart, and now you want to begin to walk a life of holiness. The fact that that's happened, that's an impossibility. But God made that possible. To create in us, my heart was desperately wicked every time I think about it. And he changed it. That's enough proof for me in my own life. Notice verse 20 through uh, through 32. We're going to see now as Christians... Our new way of living. Verse twenty through twenty-one. It says, "But you have not so learned Christ." Meaning, we who who know Christ have not been taught taught such evil. Verse twenty-one. But if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Notice Jesus has taught us a much different way to live. And this is why I emphasize studying, learning the life of Christ. Because he has taught us a much different way, a better way to live. And and the fact is that if you are a Christian and you read your Bible, you begin to learn about Jesus and what happens. You begin to learn the truth. And what does he say? The truth shall set you free and the in the results of what happens when you begin to study the life of Christ you begin to imitate him and you and you begin to to live the way he did so notice verse 21 it says as the truth is in Jesus i believe a better translation for this is the truth is Jesus because he that's exactly uh, what Jesus said to Thomas in John fourteen six, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, Jesus is the truth. He is the very embodiment of truth. He does not just possess truth. He does not just tell the truth. He is the very embodiment of what truth is. And, and like, you know, like Pilate asked Jesus, What is truth? If you are asked that same question, who are you going to point them to? If you are asked, what is truth? We all have that that question. What is truth in this world? Sometimes I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone, (laughs) just trying to figure out life. And what is truth in this life? You know where to point them. He says i am the way i am the truth and i am the life and because jesus is the truth and only in him because he is the truth and what we've studied only in him we have spiritual blessings and as as we saw the uh chapters one through three we saw our spiritual blessings and how every uh, every person in the godhead had a place in saving us, what a blessing! And I, it's always interesting to see, or, or when I study, it's like our natural desire is to draw away from God. That is, that is our natural instinct is to draw and move away from God, as the children of Israel constantly did. They would always fall away. They would always move away from God. But yet God kept reaching out for us. He did everything possible to bring us back unto him, to reconcile us unto him. He left no stone unturned. He did everything possible. And we have all those spiritual blessings because I'll explain later. uh, Let's go to verse 22. It says, That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Underline put off old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Verse 23 it says and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Underline, put on the new man. Notice, put off the old man and put on the new man. Paul here gives us this this idea, and it's an idea of simply putting off or putting on a set of clothes. That is the idea here, and it is to change into a different kind of conduct we are to change and put off the old conduct and put on our new conduct as as uh, followers of Christ as being in Christ for example think of a prisoner that has just been released from prison and this prisoner he's still wearing his prison clothes and he still acts like a prisoner and instead of acting like a free man He continues in his prison clothes. He continues to act like a prisoner. What will you say to that person? What's the first thing you're going to say to him? Put on some new clothes, bro. (laughs) You're free. Don't act like a prisoner. Put on the new man. And the point here is that we have been set free. Therefore, we need to remove... I heard the saying: Remove the grace clothes and put on. Um, excuse me, I got that wrong. Remove the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. And 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 honestly, that's that's for me. That's a great way to look at it. Remove the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. And notice verse twenty-three. It says, "In order to put on the new man, we was we must what." renew our minds and be renewed in the spirit of your mind the first step into a spiritual life is not to feel like you have to repair your old man it's not to feel like you you have to be repaired or overhauled or or you have to fix your old life that's not what it is the fact is you have to be renewed There is no repairing the old. You have to be made into something new. We need a new mind. We need a new life. We need a new heart. That is the reality of it. And you know, at some point in your life, at some point in your life, there has to be a complete break from our past. And you have to fully disconnect from your past, from your old self. There has to be that break because jesus isn't just added to be a part of our old life he wasn't just added to be a part of it because the old life it has to die he becomes our new life he becomes our new creation so our past our old life the our old man it has to die it has to die because Now we have a new life in Christ. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing. Don't try to repair it. You have to renew it, but it's not you that renews it. There's a transformation that takes place. Our minds need to be Transformed not conformed, and Christ does that for us. We had a great Devo earlier today, and, and, and Josh spoke about how we are to let God, uh, Christ do all the work. The battle is not ours. The battle is his, and it is his work to be done. All we need to do is surrender and receive. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, I like this word, therefore, because it means, because of what we just talked about, what we just heard, the following that that we're going to talk about is true and needed. So putting away lying, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Notice the new man is to put away lying. Remember what we just learned in verse 21. Jesus is the truth. And who lives in our hearts? Christ. Therefore, truth and lying has no place together in our hearts. We cannot have Christ as a part of our life we cannot have Christ in our hearts and have a lying heart There is no place for lying and when the truth comes into our hearts the lying automatically begins to fall off Because Christ starts doing the work because you begin to feel the the conviction You begin to know what is of God and what is not of God Since Jesus is the truth and what does the Bible say about Satan? the father of lies. Since Jesus is the truth and Satan is the lie, the first thing Paul tells us to drop as a new man is lying. Lying. That was a hard one for me. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil notice the new man is to put away anger but let me let me explain something about anger this the as a believer you can indulge in a righteous anger and not sin it's called a righteous indignation you can do that as a believer but yet not sin the, you know Personally, there are many times that I get angry, and honestly, if anything, I feel sometimes more angry now than i than I did before, but that is because the veil has been revealed, and I see the wickedness and the corruption in this world there's so much of it, and it upsets me. it makes me angry. I get angry when people mock God. I get angry when they use God's name in vain. I get angry you know when people encourage and they force homosexuality, transgenderism to our kids in in school. It makes me angry. I get angry when people abort their babies. However, the difference is that I would put my arm around any one of them and lead them to Christ. If given the opportunity, I would do that. Because I love their souls, and as Christians, you are to love one another. You are to love the souls of man, and you, t- you are to have a burden for the souls of man. So be angry righteously. And you know, a Christian who does not get angry at evil is ignorant of the things of God. A Christian needs the ability to become righteously indignant without sinning. Don't get me wrong, Galatians 5, 19-21 clearly teaches that anger is the working of all flesh. However, that is a different kind of anger. As I just explained, it is not a type of righteous anger. We must be able to discern that difference as Christians. And therefore, as a new man, we may get angry but but it does not have to be sinful. And and the new man knows how to let go of his wrath. We we need to learn how to let go and thus giving us no opportunity for the devil to work in your life. You give him no opportunity. Righteous anger. There's a difference Verse 28 through 21. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Notice we are to put away lying. We are to put away anger. We are to put away stealing. We are to be honest in our labors. Notice we are to work honest jobs so that we might have the means, as it says in verse um, 28, the means to help the less fortunate. And our minds are so programmed to work hard so you can live a good life. Our minds are so programmed to work hard for what you want. That's not the case per per Jesus. He says, work hard, work honestly, that he may have something to give him who has need. Jesus talks about helping those in need in Matthew chapter 25. He talks about, the, about giving. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Matthew chapter 25, it says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, Inasmuch as you do it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also t- say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. It's very clear. That what we do to one another, we are doing it as unto the Lord. And we are doing it for Christ. We are also to put away worthless, foolish talk. Proverbs 17, 27 through 28 tells us, A truly wise person uses few words, and a person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they, kept, when, they are, when they are kept silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. I remember my dad would always tell me this. If you have nothing better to say, don't say anything at all. Because sometimes when I speak too much, I begin to just speak foolishly. And I, and I, I, I tell my fiance that all the time. When we get into arguments, sometimes I just want to stop talking Because all that's coming out is foolishness. And that's how how arguments happen. That's how we begin to feel anger in our heart. That's how we begin to feel frustration is because we begin to speak foolishness. We are not to say things that would deny the new man within us. We are not to use or misrepresent this new creation that that has been created in us. We are representing Christ. Remember what Christ said in Mark chapter 7, 20 through 22. It says, what comes out of a man, that defiles man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. It is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Therefore, our conversations should always be to edify, build, strengthen, exhort, never to tear down. When a fellow Christian or a fellow brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord, if if they fall, Your job is not to gossip about it. Your job is to go and lift them up. Your job is to go and edify. Hey, it's okay you messed up. It's okay. Get up. Press on. Move forward. These are the things that we need to do as Christians because we don't know who's watching us. We don't know who could be listening Either you you edify someone and you exhort someone without even speaking directly to them or you stumble them. Put away foolish and worthless talk. We never know who's watching. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember chapter 1 verse 13 we are sealed by the Holy Spirit who is what? He is our guarantee. He is, our, he is the guarantee of what? Of our inheritance. He is, he, he is our identification to get into heaven. Therefore, the new man that's in you as a Christian, as a believer... We should not grieve the Holy Spirit knowing that He is our seal, knowing that He is our identification, knowing that He is our protection. There are many ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. We can neglect holiness and grieve Him. Think purely materialistic thoughts and you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lack in your devotional life with the Lord. You can can lack in prayer. You can lack in reading his word. And you grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lack in faith and grieve the Holy Spirit. And you see, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit exalts Christ. The job of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. And Jesus said in John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Therefore, when you fail to exalt Christ in your life, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that you fail to exalt Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes grieved. I love what Charles Spurgeon quoted I think I now see the Spirit of God grieving when you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread. You have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about worldly things and having many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. That is so true sometimes when the conviction I feel when I fail to pray before I go to bed, when I fail to read the Word of God because we're so caught up with our own personal lives, we're so caught up with the things of this world that Christ ends up becoming second in our lives. The Holy Spirit becomes grieved. Just imagine how grieved the Spirit of God is today in the churches In the Christians who are supposed to represent, live a life worthy of holiness. I I remember when I came back to the Lord, I knew I had become a new creation. Therefore, I could not do the things I used to do. Why? Because I was given a new heart. and, And I could feel when the Holy Spirit was grieved in me. You can feel it because the conviction that he would place on my heart was so heavy and it made me so grieved. When I came back to the Lord giving up pornography and I would stumble, I felt that grief and it would bring me to my knees because I, that is not me anymore, and that is not you anymore. You are new. So be new in Christ. I began to make a change, and it was only by the grace, only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I was able to defeat these strongholds. And you can too. Like I said, if he can do it in me, and he can give me a new heart, and I can, you can see a change in my life, where I was deep into sin, he can do it. Verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice the new man. We need to have control of our emotions. I'm an emotional guy. You need to control it. We must be able to control bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, all this malice. There has to be control. Aristotle defined bitterness as the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. Let me ask you a question. What if Christ remained bitter in our rebellion towards him? What if he refused to be reconciled to us? What if he while he was bearing the cross, threw it down and said, I'm sick and tired of this and I'm sick and tired of you guys. That would be a sad day for us. But he didn't. This wrath, it speaks of an outburst of the moment. And this anger speaks of a settled settled, uh, disposition. And notice Christ put all that away in order to save us. You see, Jesus had every right to show wrath. He was the only one that had the right to be angry, to show wrath because he is holy. And he was perfect, and he had the right. He would be justified in showing wrath towards us, but he didn't. Instead, what did he do? Put it away. Mimic Christ in your life. He put it away so that He might reconcile us unto Him. And how I praise God for His love, His grace, and long suffering. And and I don't just say that to say that, I feel it in me. Because the Holy Spirit overwhelms your life with love and grace long-suffering, and since Jesus showed this love and this grace, this long-suffering towards us, we must also show the same to others. We are to be Christ-like. What does a Christian mean? Christ-like, and we are to show the world. We are called to be light and salt to this world because we are Christ-like. We are Christians, and you have to Live a life worthy of that title, of that name. Christian, Christ-like. Don't forget that. Verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the new man seeks to show what the same kind, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness to others that God has shown him. And the fact is that if we treat others as God treats us, we will have fulfilled everything that Paul has told us in this chapter. If you study the life of Christ and you see the way he reacted when the Pharisees came after him, when when he was nailed to that cross, and the way he reacted, Father, forgive them. We need to react the same way. You are, you are to walk worthy of your calling. And notice what it says right here in verse 32. Even as God in Christ forgave you. When we think about this, the amazing way that God has forgiven us. It would be shameful to withhold forgiveness. From those who wrong you, it would be shameful to hold that forgiveness. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus taught that God is willing to forgive us the debt that we cannot pay. He's willing to forgive us, therefore we should be willing and ready to forgive others their debts. Their wrongs towards us because the consequences of the unforgiving servant, he was delivered to torture. The consequences were just. When the master of the house saw that that, un, that unforgivable servant, Refused to forgive someone after he had just been forgiven of his debt. We need to have that in our mind that Christ has forgiven us of not just any debt. He has forgiven us of an unpayable debt that you cannot pay for. We need to forgive others just as much. It was wrong for a man who has been forgiven. It is wrong for us who have been forgiven of so much to be so unforgiving so forgive one another even as god in christ has forgiven you genuine forgiveness from the heart it is required of all you who have been forgiven you in this room you guys have been forgiven it is required from the pureness of our hearts forgive one another it is required to live a holy life so let us long for holiness and i love this old hymn that was written by don donnie uh, McClurkin, and it's called holiness is what i long for and it goes like holiness holiness is what i long for holiness holiness is what i need Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Take my heart and transform it. Make my, take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, oh Lord. Long for holiness. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. Lord, for this new creation in us, Lord, Lord, may we be worthy of it. Lord, may we, Lord, just represent you well, Lord. May there be no misrepresentation in our lives of where we live in our in our conduct, Lord. May we, Lord, just put on this this new creation, this new man, Lord, that you have created in us, Lord. So, Father. Forgive us our debts and help us forgive others. Lord, remove any wrong anger, any any wrath in us, Lord. May we just be gentle, loving, kind. Lord, create in us a new heart. Give us clean hands, Lord. Give us holiness, Father. Lord, we just love you. You are worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise, Lord. You are worthy of it all for what you did for us. May we live a life worthy. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand for this last song.